Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie GG, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. As a writer and marketing communications coach, I am fascinated by stories. I help people discover what makes them special and help them share that with the world. If you need help with your website, marketing materials, or any kind of document, look us up on fertilegroundcommunications.com. In this episode, I interview Cindy Van Arnhem, who has faced a lifetime of mountains, starting when her beloved dad passed away when she was 16 years old. For 23 years, she created a mountain in every choice she made about her life. From cocaine addiction and abusive relationships to traveling to foreign countries without a plan, she was always seeking a way to make life hard for herself. She finally understood that she was the mountain that didn't need to be there. Now she helps entrepreneurs fully discover their own limitless power so they can create sustainable wealth through self-mastery. I posted photos and further details about Cindy on my website, including links to her website and podcast. You can find the background details at www.fertilegroundcommunications.com on the podcast tab. Now, let's meet Cindy. Hello, Cindy. Thank you so much for being on the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. So let's start out by talking about your life beginnings. What was your childhood like? I grew up on a farm. I had a really happy childhood. I grew up on a chicken farm with 18,000 chickens. (gasps) Wow. The fastest egg picker in the West. (laughs) My gosh. Wow, that's amazing. So were you actually involved in the chicken harvesting or whatever they call it? Yeah, so we sold all of our eggs to a major grocery chain nearby. And so it wasn't the chickens, it was the eggs. (laughs) I see. So you were accustomed to going out and picking up the eggs and... Yeah, we had a pretty complex system for collecting it. So we had three different barns with all the chickens in cages and there was conveyor belts that brought the eggs to us because there was so, I mean, a chicken is supposed to lay an egg every day. So Uh that's 18,000 eggs per day. Oh my gosh. Is the chicken (laughs) farm still in existence? No, not anymore. What part of the country was that? I'm actually in Canada. It was Alberta, Canada. Oh, Um, that's right. I forgot you're Canadian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Oh, my gosh. And where do you live now? I'm in British Columbia, Canada. Ah, so what's what's the difference between Alberta and British Columbia? Uh, BC's warmer (laughs) Uh by a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And BC has more mountains. Alberta is pretty flat. Uh huh. I've never been to Alberta. I've been to British Columbia and Ontario, but not Alberta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I moved to British Columbia 20 years ago and never looked back. Uh, I love British Columbia. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful up hair. there. Yeah, yeah. It really is. <laughs> so you were very close to your father. Can you tell us about your father? Yeah, my dad was my biggest cheerleader. He was a mechanical engineer turned farmer. And so he was always building things and creating things. And he was a second degree black belt in Shotokan karate. And he was just this powerhouse. He was somebody that I just looked up to and admired. He was so strong. And he always told me that I could do, be, or have anything I wanted in life. That's a really wonderful start to your life to have somebody mm-hmm. like that. And so then uh, let's talk a little bit about when he passed away. How old were you when that happened? 
Yeah, I was 16 years old and he passed away suddenly. Um, it took all of us by surprise. He was one of the healthiest men that we oh, knew. Mm-hmm. And he worked himself to death. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, So he just died in the night? No, it was during the day. He was right at the end of his work day. He was oh. finishing up in the barns and we were waiting for him to come home for dinner. And I looked out the window and saw the ambulance and... He was dead before he hit the ground, unfortunately. Oh my gosh, how devastating. Oh, It was. <laughs> so how did you deal with that at such a young age? Not well. It's taken me years. I immediately made a series of decisions in that moment that, number one, there was nobody else that would ever believe in me the way he did. And that the universe really didn't have my back, that it was just chaos. And, you know, when your number's up, your number's up. And there was nothing we could do about it. And... So I just started making a series of very poor decisions. I mean, you name the bad decision, I made it. Abusive relationships, drug addiction, alcoholism. I was just a wreck. And that started pretty quickly after he died? Yeah, shortly after. I was still in high school and my math and science teacher at the time, I was in a very small school. My graduating class was 18 students. So as I was going through school, I had been a straight A student and my grades started failing. And then I started getting into arguments with my math and science teacher and he tried to uh, manipulate me in ways that weren't great for a young female. And so I ended up taking a lot of my final high school courses by correspondence. And at that time, it was, you know, through the mail. There was no internet back then. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> I'm dating myself now. No, me too. I know. <laughs> and uh, I, I did graduate from high school, but it was really hard. And I did not graduate with honors like I had intended. Um, but I did graduate. And from there, that's when I moved to BC because my mom had moved out. And I just thought, you know, I just need a fresh start. But when I moved to BC, I started falling in with the wrong crowd, making poor decisions, cocaine addiction, all of the abusive relationships. It was just a series of one after the other after the other. And how long did that last year? Self-destructive behaviors? Yeah, three years in total for the cocaine addiction. Uh, Some of the other self-destructive behaviors took a little longer to cure. In the cocaine addiction, I was living with my mom and I was manipulating her. She didn't know what was going on. She was very naive, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look Mm -hmm. at it. And we were working on something together. And I had been with for like a week without food, without sleep, I was high as a kite. And I was like craving my next hit. And she just looked at me and she just asked me one question. And that was all I needed to see what I was capable of. And all she asked me was, are you okay? And it was in that moment that I was like, um, no, I'm not. And sometimes it's just that one second of surrender to, you know, we can't control it anymore. So she sent me to, there was no formal treatment. Um, I went to a friend's house. He took my car keys and my phone away from me and fed me. I laid on his couch for three weeks and recovered. Oh my gosh. So you never actually had treatment? Never. Wow. From there, I decided that I was going to take control of my life. So I decided to start traveling. But I knew that if I went to some countries that I would probably fall back into my same habits. And so I chose to travel to countries where if you do drugs, it's the death penalty. (laughs) 
really? Oh my gosh. So what countries were those? I lived in Jakarta, Indonesia for a year. And from there, I moved into Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. I love Indonesia. My husband and I went there. We we lived in Japan for three years. And Mm. then when we left, we traveled. We spent three weeks in Indonesia and I loved it there. Yeah, there are certain areas that are absolutely stunning. Jakarta itself. No, it's not. It's kind of an armpit. Yes, I I remember that about Jakarta. Yeah, the rest of the country is beautiful, but Jakarta is not the prettiest. I remember we were staying in a, you know, in a guest house and we were awoken every morning, you know, at like four in the morning with the with the prayers. Mm, You know, I I actually miss that. I just I I loved the sound of Mm -hmm. the call to prayer. Mm -hmm. To me, it was just this haunting, beautiful sound. And at first, it was hard, but I got used to it. And we weren't there long. Miss it now? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure if we'd been there longer, we would have felt the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, what did you do in Indonesia and and Dubai? Yeah, I taught English as a second language. Mm -hmm. So I was um, in a. I can't remember the name of the school, but I was teaching young Indonesian students how to speak English. Yeah, that's what I did in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Huh, that's great. So you went to Indonesia, Dubai, and mm-hmm. then what happened next? Uh, my mom got really sick and almost died. And my uncle had passed away. So I decided it was time to come home. Came home, <laughs> fell in with the same crowd oh, and started no. making poor decisions again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we all have our relapses. Yes. Yeah. And then I decided, you know, I was trying to, you know, pull up my big girl panties. So I went to work in Saskatchewan on the pipelines. And ah. from there, I started kind of getting my act together and started growing up and then moved back to BC and started, get, I got a job as a bartender. I was bartending for probably about six years. And there was one, I was working at this one bar where I actually had a baseball bat behind the bar for protection. Oh, it really? Was, oh, my God. the dive bar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it was the night that I actually had to pull the baseball bat out that I realized I'm better than this and oh. I deserve more than this. There was a song that came on on my way home that night, Hailstorm, I Am the Fire. And I listened to that song on repeat over and over and over again. And the one line that stood out to me is, I am the one that I've been waiting for. Uh And I started realizing that the only person who would ever help me change my life and make my life better was me. So at three o'clock in the morning that night, I started researching career options. And the next day went and applied to college and went back to school as a mature student and graduated from uh, college as an event and promotions manager. Halfway through college, realized that's not what I wanted to do. And I did not want to run events and started my own business. The education was amazing. I learned a lot. It helped me step out of my comfort zone. But what really happened was that I took my power back. How old were you when that shifted when you went back to college? Uh, That would have been five or six years ago. So 35, Mm -hmm. 34. It seems like you have an incredible amount of self-awareness, maybe more than most people. Well, now I do. Yes. Yeah, but even even <laughs> back in the back in the days, though, you know, like when your mom asked you the question about "Are you okay?" I mean that that takes a lot of self awareness to understand that no, I'm not okay, and I need to do something about it. You know, this is true. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So you say on your website that for 23 years you created a mountain, and every choice you made about your life. Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit about more about that? 
Well, I just tried to make my life hard. (laughs) That's what I always think of when I think of the mountain. The mountain is the how and the why. What I've learned in the last three years of really deep diving into energetics and how the universe operates is that it's not our job to know how. But the mind wants to put this big mountain in front of it. So even, for example, we'll just throw one out there. You want to make a million dollars. The mind goes, but how? But it's not our job to know how. We just take those steps one day at a time, and then you have a million dollars. You specialize in quantum numerology and universal laws. I have no idea what that means. So can you can you translate that into English for most of us who are new Absolutely. to those terms? <laughs> I help people understand who they are, what they want, and how to get it. And what do you do with numbers? How do numbers yeah. apply to that? So everything in our experience is has a mathematical code. And like the things in our physical reality, the people, our relationships, energy, everything has a numerical mathematical code to it. I'm not going to dive into the math because it's quantum physics and I can't even figure it out. But there are certain numbers and pinpoints that we can use as numerologists to really dive into what that code is and how it can best support us as entrepreneurs or humans in general. I work specifically with entrepreneurs to help them activate their wealth. But when we look at, for example, just your date of birth, we can tell you the foundation of your personality, some of your key sabotages to watch out for, some of your biggest challenges, but also what some of the major possibilities available to you are. And we can show you how you operate within that mathematical code. There are some people who are born speakers and they're meant to be on podcasts and on stages. And there are other people who are meant to be hummingbirds and flitting about doing this and that and everything and being more adventurous. There are certain people that are good at structures and stability. That's all built into your mathematical code. And we can determine that based on your date of birth. Really? So if I told you my date of birth, you could look it up or you would you have it in, in your mind? Go um, look up my date of birth and tell me what I'm meant to do. Yeah, numerology is an intuitive science. So oh. there are resources that you can look at where we there's a certain particular meaning to a number. But as a quantum numerologist, I believe that numbers are evolving with us. And the universe is either dying or expanding. And so if the if we are growing and expanding as humanity, then the numbers need to do that as well. So I often channel numbers through meditation and through just different brainwave frequencies that I play with. I can actually see the mathematical code. Now, there are certain calculations that I need to do to determine your ruling number. But once I get there, then most of it ends up being intuitive and really just feeling into the energy of who you are. So how did you land on this this type of practice? Yeah, I started my business back when I was in college as a virtual assistant. So I was working, helping entrepreneurs build the back-end systems in their business, building their websites, their sales pages. And what I quickly discovered was how much I hated doing that. (laughs) And I had put a mountain in front of myself thinking that if I just worked a little bit harder, that somehow I would have that magical breakthrough. I was living PayPal to PayPal. I was burnt out in six months. It was pretty bad. And 
Along my journey, I ran into a woman named Joy Kingsborough, who to this day is my mentor. I'm her apprentice. She's teaching me everything she knows when it comes to numerology. She's been studying it for 20 years. And we just started in on the emotional mastery, understanding that self-mastery piece. And she taught me neurology and I became obsessed. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And even now when she teaches me new things, you'll see my brain explode. I geek out on it. I'm obsessed. And so what are universal laws? Is that connected to numerology? Yeah, a little bit. So universal laws, just like the law of attraction, which most people are familiar with from the book, The Secret. Uh, The secret missed a lot of other laws that are important. We can't just work with one law. There are several laws. And Joy and I work with 25 universal laws specifically to help support in understanding how best to take action, when to pause, when to move. And we tie that in with numerology so that we can understand our code within the code of the universe. So how did these tools help you to heal your old wounds of drug addiction, emotional abuse, and trauma? Mm, Yeah, the number one tool that I have used is forgiveness and really understanding that my journey of addiction and poor decisions, you know, I used to have a lot of shame about it. There was a lot of guilt, even around the money piece, because I was stealing money from my mom. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty bad, right? And there was a lot of healing that needed to happen in that. But what really needed to happen was that I needed to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of forgiveness letters written, a lot of fires burning those letters. (laughs) (laughs) And just a big journey of self-awareness and understanding that the decisions I made when I was in my 20s led me to who I am today. And so I look back at that time of my life with absolute gratitude now. Mm -hmm. That's radical, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a good space to be in. My brother, he's a recovering alcoholic. So I'm aware of some of those issues and a lot of the shame that he carries with him himself as well. Wow. I can't say that I have any shame anymore. Pretty loud and proud about it, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a willingness to look your demons in the eye. Yes. Is your mother still around? Yes. How is your relationship with her now? Oh, spectacular. My mother is my angel. I adore her. We talk almost every day. She's amazing. Good. Well, it sounds like she kind of saved you in a way. Yeah, Yeah. she's my guardian angel. Absolutely. If we look at the numerology, the relationship between her and I, without sounding, this is not coming from ego, but I saved her too. How did you save her? So my mom was very quiet. She kept silent. She didn't speak up. She didn't speak her truth. She was a follower, not a leader. And in our journey together with her understanding that, you know, all I needed was love. I didn't need tough love. I needed absolute unconditional love. And it helped her to really understand that why she was put here on this planet. And if you meet my mom, <laughs> I want everybody to meet my mom <laughs> because she just has this radiance about her. Anytime anybody meets her, it's like a warm hug. That's wonderful to have someone like that in your life. So good. Yeah. (laughs) So it seems like you're really kind of self-made, really. You went to college for something different, and then you've completely kind of re-educated yourself. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I follow the breadcrumbs in my life, and I follow (laughs) my passion. I always knew that I was not meant to hold down a J-O-B. It's just not in my code. I've never held a job for more than a year other than one, and that was bartending, which was not really fun. 
I just followed the breadcrumbs of my passion. I always knew, and I think this comes from my dad saying I could do, be, and have anything I wanted. So whenever I wanted something, I just followed it. Yeah. I mean, the engineer turned chicken farmer, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, I really admire people. You know, it took me, I'm a new entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a year and a half after working in a JOB for 33 years. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really admire people who understand that about themselves when they're much younger. So that's great. It's interesting because I didn't I didn't really understand it when I was younger. I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't hold down a job. I would just get bored mm-hmm. or I would feel like oh, I can do this better than I get in yes, trouble. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're meant to be an entrepreneur then, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I am officially unemployable at this time. Yes. Well, it, I mean, the things that the thing that I love the most about being an entrepreneur is not having a boss after exactly. having worked for people I didn't respect for a couple of years, you know? So what do you find the most gratifying and challenging of being an entrepreneur? Oh my gosh. The most gratifying is the fact that I get to get up every morning and help people. Like I never have anything in my calendar that I don't love to do. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It is amazing. And it's, I'm just so grateful. Like every morning I wake up and I'm like, is this really my life? And I get to support people and help people and create wealth in the world and help the help contribute to the redistribution of wealth. And it just lights me up. Like I'm so excited about life. That is fantastic. And what do you find the most challenging? Honestly, at this point, nothing. Really? And how long have you been doing this? I've been an entrepreneur running my own business for four years. Okay, that's great. Well, that gives me some hope because I'm not quite there yet. I mean, I'm still a baby. I'm a baby. It it requires a lot of self-mastery. It requires a lot of leaning into the unknown and trusting. It requires faith. And faith is a muscle that you develop every day. It's not like you just one day arrive at faith. It's a daily practice. And the more you practice it, the more you lean in, the more you spend time in meditation and contemplation and connecting with yourself, the more you're able to follow the breadcrumbs and let go of the mountain of hows. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like why I decided to start a podcast. I was following that and it's just been so gratifying, even though it's not a money maker, but it's something that I feel like is helping the flow of my business somehow. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure yet how, but you know. Well, it's helping you in communication. It's helping you get to know people and right. meet new people. It's right. helping you with uh, speaking. Yeah, all of those things help as an entrepreneur. I was the same way with my own podcast, Rebel Radio, as that I just started it on a whim. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, oh, you need like a year of planning for a podcast. And I launched my podcast in two weeks weeks. Yeah, I was still waiting. Actually, Cindy, I know. (laughs) And now Rebel Radio has gone global and it's in every country except North Korea. North Korea. (laughs) They don't let us in there. But yeah, and it, it that happened in less than seven months. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's what happens when you do what you love and not what you think you should do. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Rebel Radio. What do you cover on Rebel Radio? Rebel Radio is a conversation for entrepreneurs, mostly emerging entrepreneurs who want to dive into what this self-mastery and wealth piece really is. So I interview guests from all natures and all walks of life who have this level of self-mastery and who understand it. And I always think 
you know, self-mastery, success, and wealth, those three words are very subjective in what they actually mean. We can't really define them because they're different for everybody. And so diving into these conversations with these amazing entrepreneurs, we get the plethora of definition so that emerging entrepreneurs can really begin to understand what it is for them because we can't look to our external circumstances to understand our own truth. Hmm. But we need some sort of starting point. I was looking at your podcast the other day and I saw one episode I want to go back to, which was you were interviewing somebody about tapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that would have been Jackie McDonald. Yes. Uh, she's a client of mine and a dear friend. And she does tapping a little bit differently, which is really interesting. Most people use tapping to release. Mm. She uses tapping to not only release, but also to receive. So she creates affirmations around tapping, which is really powerful to help the body embrace who you are becoming. Yeah, I wanted to find a quiet space to go back to that episode because I was at the point when she said, close your eyes. Like, okay, I need to. (laughs) Yeah, some of my episodes you can't listen to while you're driving. (laughs) Yeah, no, I wasn't driving, but I I usually work in my dining room and there's all this chaos around me because I have three Mm -hmm. kids. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I need to find a space for it. I'm going to go back to it. So you've been doing this for how long, Rebel Radio? I started my podcast, I think, in March of 2020. Okay, right. So you yeah. were like, you started about four months before I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and what what are some episodes that kind of stick out in your mind? I don't know the numbers and the names off by heart, but I have had my very first male guest, James Gardner, was amazing. He was so good that he was the first one to come back for a second episode. Oh, so highly recommend both of his episodes. Also, I had a guest on Wins McDonald. Now, <laughs> Rebel Radio, I don't play by the rules. I don't edit and I don't do anything for noise reduction. And there just happened to be car alarms going off during that episode. (laughs) But what he says in the episode is worth putting up with the car alarms because (laughs) his conversation, he is a man of color and his conversation came out right when the riots were breaking out in the United States. Mm -hmm. And his, his perspective on what was happening was really powerful. Great. I mean, it's really hard to pick my favorite episodes. I know. I, so I couldn't many. either. And and I find that when I, with editing, I'll be editing an episode. Oh, this is my favorite. I mean, I uh, <laughs> I could not choose either. So right, it's like trying to choose your favorite pet. Like yes. All- <laughs> I mean, they're all so different. I know. Yeah. Wow. And how did you come up with that name? Rebel Radio? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, numerologically, I am a rebel. <laughs> and so that just made sense. And I was really focusing on, you know, creating my brand at that time. And the rebel just came out. I love it. That's yeah. great. So think back to yourself at age 21. What would you say to her now? I love you. Oh, nice. And leave it at that. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all she needs. Short and sweet. Okay, I love it. What have you read or watched recently that has inspired you? Oh, I am deeply ingrained into Carl Kalaman. He is a quantum physicist turned Mayan enthusiast. And what he has discovered is that the Mayan culture were actually quantum physicists. So he has studied the Mayan calendar in depth and has tied in how quantum physics, how we understand quantum physics today, how that ties into the Mayan calendar. And so it is a numerological conversation. It's very in-depth. It's very scientific, but that would probably be my number one go-to. Just curiosity, because, you know, I'm American and yesterday was a big day here, right? (laughs) For Georgia. We're very excited. Mm -hmm. So what do the numbers of the universal law say about this time that we're living in right now? 
Yeah. Oh, I love this question so much. So 2020 carried the energy of the four. So I'm just going to talk about 2020 for a minute and then I'll move into what 2021 feels like. So the energy of the four is all about stability, structure, foundation, and safety. And in 2020, that became very clear where our foundation and our structures and our systems weren't working. Mm -hmm. As we saw the polarity of that four, where all of a sudden the healthcare system, the political systems, every educational systems, it was all falling apart, right? And it was blatantly obvious. And as we started to understand that, and we were literally forced to go home because many people couldn't go to work because of the pandemic, It was an invitation to come back to what's most important and to rebuild our own foundations. So many people experienced the pandemic as an opportunity to try new things and experience things that they didn't have time to before, where people all of a sudden were starting yoga or starting their own businesses. There was a lot of people starting entrepreneurial businesses online because we couldn't go out in public and run a business. Mm-hmm. And so it it was an opportunity for us to create a new foundation. And we were okay, okay with being in a box. If you think of the four, there's four sides to the box, right? So 2021 comes along and it carries the energy of the five. Now the five wants freedom more than anything else. So we're already starting to experience this with anti-mask rallies. People are starting to push against the system. I Don't tell me I can't stay at home. Don't make me wear a mask. And they're fighting back. We're starting to see people fight for their freedom. And we're starting to see people pushing against those boundaries of that box of the four, where we want more adventure. We want more play. We want freedom. We want to be able to do what we want when we want. We're going to see a massive awakening happening this year as people begin to understand the illusion that we've been medicated with for hundreds of years is falling apart. We're going to start seeing the truth of what reality really is. And people are going to start understanding that what we've been told in the media, the news, it's all a lie. So it's going to be really challenging for a lot of people. It's going to be very liberating for a lot of people. The understanding for 2021 is to land into the heart. The five is very emotional and needs to understand that even though society has told us that we're supposed to shove our anger and our sadness and our grief under the carpet and medicate it and numb it with Netflix and drugs and food and alcohol, what we're really meant to do is feel the full spectrum of our emotions because that's what makes us human. And if we can lean into that and awaken to that, we have the opportunity here to cross the bridge into the next level of human consciousness. You know, the thing that keeps coming to mind when you're talking about this is the issue of race and racism. Mm-hmm. And how people are, you know, people who really didn't pay much attention to Black Lives Matter before Mm -hmm. George Floyd, you know, are kind of finally waking up. Yeah. Yeah. There's awakenings happening everywhere. There's awakenings happening when it comes to our healthcare and how we've Mm -hmm. been manipulated with our food, how food, especially in the United States, food isn't really food. There's just a lot. There's so many different layers to it. The invitation of the five is to really bring us back to the idea of listening to the beat of our own heart. And it only takes a moment for you to close your eyes, place your hand on your heart and just listen. And your heart always knows the answer of what's right for you, not what's right for what everybody else wants for you, not what you should do, not what you think is possible. But the heart just says, I want this. 
the more we do that and the more we listen to that and we're discerning of that, the more we have the ability to take action towards it, not looking to our external circumstances for the evidence of it, but just knowing that we can have it because the heart wants it. And that's really the bridge that we're crossing in 2021 is the ability to be discerning of that and to be in integrity with that. So we're always making decisions within alignment of our own values and what's most important to us. So in 2020, we kind of came into alignment with what's most important to us. 2021, time to take action on that and actually start living it. I love that advice and it works really well for me in my own journey. So so I've been choosing a word of the year the last couple of years. So my word of the year in 2018 was dance. And that was the year I got laid off and started my own business. Mm. Last year it was shine. This year is thrive. So I know. So it really follows through with what you're saying. And I also love the advice to listen to your heart because I know for me, when I've done that, it's always paid off, but it's, it's tempting to think about, you know, I was the breadwinner for most of my life. And I think about Mm -hmm. how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to pay for college? All of that. So, right. um, Yeah. There's a lot of science that's been done on the power of the human heart. We receive information from the quantum field through the heart first. And the heart sends a message to the brain, which then the brain decides what to do with that information. Now, the brain is nothing but a computer program between your ears. So depending on belief systems, past programming will determine what you decide to do with the information you're receiving. So the more we dive into the self-mastery and clearing out that past programming, the easier this gets. But really, it starts with what is my heart saying to me right now? Not what is my brain saying? Because your brain doesn't know anything. So to all of my listeners, if you're interested in learning more about what Cindy's talking about, go to Rebel Radio and listen to her podcast. Are you really interested in physics and science when you were studying in high school? Oh my God, no, I hate it. I know, it's so interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I hated math, I hated science. And it's wow. only in the last three years that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I love numbers. Wow, that's fascinating. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was very curious when I was a kid though. And because my dad was a mechanical engineer, I was very curious about the world. And my dad always asked a lot of questions. Like my mom went to church and we had a choice as kids. We could either go to church with mom or stay home with dad and help on the farm. And I always chose help dad on the farm because that conversation was way more interesting. And he asked way deeper questions than whatever happened in Sunday school. That was your form of church. You went to church, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like with me for history, like Mm -hmm. now I love history but I like to get my history in the form of historical fiction or like, mm-hmm. you know, or shows that make me go research. And and I, I was not drawn to history when I was younger, necessarily. Right. Well, I've always been fascinated with the meaning of the universe, though. That is something mm-hmm. I, I've studied numerous religions. I've read the Bible and the Quran front to back because I had so many questions. I was very much a why child. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to ask questions and really question traditional religion, then I need to know what I'm talking about. So I just read the dang book and that just stirred up more questions. Yeah. (laughs) How do you apply numerology and universal laws to religious texts? I mean, what did did they say about religious texts? Well, it's actually really interesting. If you look at the Bible, it's full of numbers. (laughs) True. (laughs) So without offending anyone, here's my personal belief. My personal belief is that the Bible was written by men. 
Mm-hmm. And that there are a lot of things missing in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Damn, some, damn straight. There are some incredible stories in the Bible. And if we look collectively at numerous different religions and different ways of thinking about the universe, there's always a common thread. So even though we may have different stories, there's always a common thread when it comes to the creation story, which can now be explained through quantum physics. Uh, There is a, a common thread between how people, humans experienced, you know, forgiveness and morality and all of those things. And I think religion was just a way of giving people something to hang on to. Mm-hmm. How do you explain the creation story through quantum physics? That caught my attention. <laughs> Absolutely. <Just> curious. <laughs> so we actually have a computer now that can see the cosmic tree of life. And the cosmic tree of life was is the creator, the beginning of the Big Bang, all of those things. And there are waves of frequency coming off of that cosmic tree of life. Those waves of frequency have created us, and there are nine waves of frequency. But within each wave, if you think of a wave, there's an up and a down swing to it. Each wave has an up, which is a day, and a down, which is a night. And there are seven days and six nights. And so that's that number seven is really common in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. The creation story of the Bible. The, on the seventh day, God rested. If you look at cultural traditions, most temples have nine layers to them, which is the nine waves of consciousness. We have actually moved into the ninth wave of consciousness now. So we're experiencing what we would call unity consciousness, where more and more of us are becoming aware of the fact that we are all connected Mm -hmm. through the quantum field, that we're all made of the same stardust. Hmm. Interesting. So my final question is, is there a story of grit, resilience, and connection that has been an inspiration for you in in your own life? Honestly, every person who's willing to step into their own power to see themselves for who they really are is an inspiration to me. And so it's not just one person. What I'm inspired by right now is humanity and watching humanity step up and really take their power back. Yes. I feel that way today too. Six months ago, I didn't feel that way quite as much. (laughs) (laughs) Mid-pandemic, not so much. (laughs) Yes. Well, and also with the political situation in in the US. Well, and the pandemic as well, seeing that people are not caring for each other, you know, Mm -hmm. that's been heartbreaking. So yeah, that still causes me some heartbreak, but there is hope today. So I think it's important to look around for the evidence of it because, so here we go again, the, our outside experience is a direct reflection of what's going on in our own mind. And so if we're seeing pain and suffering, there's pain and suffering within our own heart and mind. I always tell people, you can't go look at the sunset and see beauty without seeing beauty in yourself. It's impossible because of the science. We have mirror neurons that show us likeness in ourselves. So the invitation here is to go look for the beauty in humanity. Go look for the acts of kindness. Go look for the person walking an elderly across the street. Look for those moments where you see the love in humanity. And the more you look for it, the more you'll see it. I love that. That is a wonderful way to close. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's been a wonderful conversation. And I look forward to coming on Rebel Radio in a few months. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you. This I really love this conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Cindy. Have a great day. You too. Bye for now. Okay. Bye. Before my interview with Cindy, I knew nothing about numerology. Thanks to Cindy for being a testament to self-mastery. 
Don't forget, you can find photos of Cindy, links to her website and podcast, and other details on my website, www.fertilegroundcommunications.com. Look for the podcast tab. Do you know someone with a grit and resilience story who would be great to interview? You can find more info on the website. Next week, I interview Elena Joy Thurston, an inspirational LBGTQ speaker, trainer, and founder of the nonprofit Pride and Joy Foundation, which is dedicated to reducing the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LBGTQ community. I'm Mormon mom of four who lost her marriage, her church, and her community when she came out as a lesbian. Elena's viral TED Talk on surviving conversion therapy has been viewed 40,000 times and landed her media and speaking opportunities with ABC, CBS, Fox, Boston's first event, and other media outlets. Thanks for listening to the Finding for the Ground podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications.